you have your Bibles, Hebrews 10 is where we're going to be starting out tonight. Hebrews chapter 10. And this is going to be our last lesson in the series on the blood of the covenant. Our fourth perspective of looking at what it meant when Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper. And as he took the cup, he said, this is the blood of the covenant. And so we've been spending our time looking at this and trying to get a, a deeper picture of, of what this ultimately looks like. As I've noted with, to you every single time as we've been looking at this is that there's not any account in regards to the institution of the Lord's Supper in which that phrase is not used. That this is the blood of the covenant it is my blood of the covenant or the new covenant uh, in my blood. And the, the only passage now that we haven't had a chance to look at is in Hebrews chapter 10. And, and he says something that I think is pretty startling in the way that it's worded, especially as we've been going through this series and thinking about the implications of Christ's blood that established this covenant. In Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 26, it says, for if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. Anyone who set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses. So you notice there's a severity and a seriousness that is being described about the way things were under the law of Moses. But then watch how he transitions and says, How much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has outraged the spirit of grace? Now, the thing that is, I think is interesting that is, is it's, it's a paragraph that's easy to kind of rush by and not slowly think about. But you can imagine how much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has trampled underfoot the Son of God? I think if you think about trampling Christ underfoot, we would quickly go... Yes, I think there should be a very serious punishment for trampling the, the Son of God underfoot. Clearly, that would be a terrible thing, and it would be worthy of a worse punishment. But I also want you to notice that he didn't just simply say, and profaned him, but then he moves to the blood of the covenant and says, and how much worse punishment do you think would be deserved by the one who has profaned the blood of the covenant? And immediately, I think then we have to stop and go, okay, well, what does that mean? What is he talking about when he says that? Especially because the word profane is certainly not a word that we use in everyday conversation. I think the only time I've said that word is in this text. Where else do you talk like that? So what does this word mean? What is he talking about? It's a little bit simpler than we might think that it really carries the idea of making something Common. Uh, it might even be translated in some of your translations as defiled or unclean. You are taking something of value and you are saying it's common. Or you are taking something that's clean and saying 
it's dirty. That's kind of the idea of profaning something is it has something of an importance and you're lowering it. You're no longer giving it honor or regard or the value that it deserves. So in putting that in a sentence, he's saying, so how much worse punishment do you consider would happen if we take the blood of the covenant and consider it ordinary, common, defiled, unclean, not holding it to the honor and value to which it deserves. And again, I think it is fascinating to think about that he didn't say, now, how much worse punishment do we hold Jesus common? But he says the blood of the covenant. And the question has to be, I think, why is that a problem? Well, if you'll notice in Hebrews chapter 10, he gives an answer to that in in verse 29 when he says, has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified or made holy. This is another aspect, another dimension that we are looking at in regards to the blood of the covenant that the writer of Hebrews says, it's the blood of the covenant that makes you holy. This is the way you can be holy before God. This is the way you can stand clean before him. And there's an importance in in regards to that and saying, here is the means by which you're able to be in right relationship with God, which we have had a sense of as we've gone through this series that we've been seeing that idea in terms of being set free from our sins and the high value of what it took in regards that it couldn't be animal blood. It had to be the death of God himself for us to be able to be purified from our sins. And so chapter 10 is confirming that and telling us the blood of the covenant is how that we would be able to be made holy. Now, so I think here's here's probably a really important question. So how do you do that? Right? How much worse punishment for the person who takes the blood of the covenant by which you were made holy and says, that's common, and it's not of high regard to me, because I don't know that we would walk around and say it like that. I don't think we walked up to each other and said, you know, I think the blood of the covenant is very common and I don't care. As they're not really the words that we use. But I want you to notice how that happens. Back up to verse 26, because you'll notice the picture. In verse 26, he says, for if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. So I want you to notice that he says, here's the picture. Here's how you are trampling the son of God underfoot, how you are outraging the spirit of grace and how you are profaning the blood of the covenant. And he uses it in verse 26. If we go on sinning deliberately. Now, don't have time to be useful to have like a whole sermon just on that little component right there. But I think it's important to think about, well, what does he mean by that? Because it's easy to read that and go, well, wait, don't we all sin deliberately? Well, yeah, we do. So what, what exactly are you getting at? Are you saying every time we sin, we're trampling the Son of God underfoot, and now we're going to have a worse punishment? And he goes on to even talk about how there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment. Well, what are you talking about, about sinning deliberately? What is the idea here? What is happening? But the, the picture in our mind should be the, uh, simply like this. You don't care what God said to do. Here's what God has told you to do. And you go, 
Not interested. Don't really like those laws. Not really concerned about those commands. I don't think God bothered doing that. That is carrying the picture of what's going on. If the whole point here is if we go on sitting deliberately and we just talk about just our inadvertent sins that we're committing, well, then we all might as well go home because there's no longer a sacrifice for sins. Now, what you are doing is you're coming before God and saying, here's what I know you've said to do, but I don't care. I, I know that you have died for my sins, but I'm not interested. I know that you have, have given your life for me, but I don't want to change. I'm going to keep doing what I want to do. And I know that you've said I've got to change. I know that you've said I've got to transform. I know you want me to be like you in your image, but I'm not going to do that. I'm not interested. That is, I think, one of the big pictures that the writer of Hebrews is drawing out for us. You're taking the very thing that made you holy, the blood of the covenant, and you're saying, ordinary, common, don't care, doesn't move me, doesn't really matter, not interested. That's the picture that he's saying that. How much worse punishment do you suppose when you look at what Christ has done for you and what has been accomplished through the covenant and you say, through your actions, eh, it's great and all. Glad he did it, but it's common. It's ordinary to you and doesn't have the high value that God says it's supposed to have. I think the, the, the apostle Peter makes a, 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 a similar idea here when he, when he talks about those who have escaped the defilements of the world. They become entangled in them once again. You might remember that he says at the end of that, it's like a dog returning to its own vomit or a pig going back into the mud. You've been clean, you've been cleansed, you've been made holy, you've been purified, and you look at that and go, eh, mud's pretty good. Going to go back in the mud, going to get right back in there. While they're around in there, that cleansing, I don't really care for it. Want to get right back in the dirt again. Or worse imagery, Back into the vomit, back into the filth that you were in before. That's the idea that he's trying to get across. And I want you to think about how he's, he's really carrying out that idea for us in that in our very first lesson, we were looking in Exodus 24. And remember, as the covenant was being spoken to them, and then it was written down in a book, and then Moses read the covenant to them. All the people responded. All that the Lord has said, we will do. They did not say, all that the Lord has said, we will disregard. <laughs> or, all that the Lord has said, we will take under advisement. And we will decide which ones we want to go with or not. Now, inevitably, they ended up pretty much doing that. But that was not the commitment to the covenant. The commitment to the covenant is, here is the blood of the covenant, which means I'm saying I'm in. Or to use here, I hold it in high regard. I value it and I'm going to do it. I'm going to follow. I'm not going to disregard it. I'm going to listen to what he's called for me to do. That is, I think, such an important picture because this is what Moses was trying to communicate to the people as the blood was thrown upon them. Now, think about it's not animal blood that's been thrown upon us. This is what we've been working on over the past few weeks. It's the blood of his son. You have had his blood sprinkled on you. 
and you have entered into the covenant and you are supposed to be saying back to God, all that he has spoken, we will do. We are moved by what he's done and we are excited to belong to it and we are not going to disregard it. We're going to do as he says. And that's why you can say, so how much worse punishment if you have walked through that process and then you turn around and go, but I don't care. I don't hold the importance. I don't see the value. I don't see the concern. I hold these things as ultimately common. If we go back to that, then it is something that is considered of the highest, highest violation. I I mean, here, as we leave from Hebrews 10 in just a minute here, for him to say, That if we do this, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment. And then to say, what do you think would be deserved if we are trampling the son of God underfoot? If we are uh, profaning the blood of the covenant and we are outraging the spirit of grace. Here's what I'm getting at and we'll move on. I don't think we look at our part of the covenant in that severity. I don't think we look at it and go, well, you know, God's told me to do some things. Eh, it's fine. I'm kind of slightly concerned about those things. I'm, I'm somewhat motivated. He describes that our lack of concern He's describing that if we look at the covenant and don't hold it in the highest of value, you are trampling Christ under your feet. You are outraging the spirit of grace. You are taking the blood of the covenant and saying it's common. There was something to be said for what God was trying to communicate to us about the importance of this covenant that we have been put into. And it wasn't supposed to be something that the people would take lightly. And that's why he says, how did God respond when Israel took the covenant of the law of Moses lightly? How much worse this one? Now, let's talk about why this would matter. Go over to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. I'm going to tie these two things together now. 1 Corinthians chapter 11 is a place where... Paul has some very strong words for the Christians there. And this morning we spent quite a bit of time looking at the problems that existed there. Two key problems in how they were gathering together and their unwillingness to do these things in a together manner. And I want you to just notice a little bit of the severity of what he's saying before we we dig into what he says. But in verse 27, you will notice, he says in 1 Corinthians 11, verse 27, whoever therefore eats the bread and drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. That, that is a really serious sentence. I mean, when you read that, you don't, you don't fly over that. You're like, it, it, he doesn't say, well, you know, no, if you, if you, if you, Take this and do it however you want. It's really not a big deal. He goes, you're guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. Same kind of severe, intentional language like we saw in Hebrews chapter 10. Look at verse 29. 
For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. Again, he underscores worthy of judgment in doing this. Then again, in verses 31 and 32, if we are if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with with the world. The whole point is that God is judging them because they haven't judged themselves rightly. So here in this final paragraph, three different ways he's saying, do you understand how serious this is? And I don't know that we always get the sense of that. But there's something important about what we are doing. And he's saying, now you need to be careful. You need to discern. You need to be judging yourself in in this way. And now I think it's important as we start about talking about this memorial that, and he talks about doing this in an unworthy manner. Anytime we talk about something being worthy or unworthy, I think it's important that we make these clarifying remarks. There is no way for us to be worthy of Christ's sacrifice. There is nothing you can do to make yourself worthy. That is completely impossible. It is the priceless, precious blood of the Son. And you can't be worthy of it in any way whatsoever. That's not what he's getting at when he talks about an unworthy manner. Nor can he be saying, so when you come to the table, you need to be sinless. Because we might as well just go ahead and keep the trays over in the corner because it's never going to happen. We're never going to come to the table and go, okay, well, I'm not worthy because I'm a sinner. Well, I know. (laughs) In fact, remember what the Apostle John said in his first letter. If you say you have no sin, you're a liar. If we came to the table and go, oh, yeah, I've been great this week, you're lying. (laughs) The truth isn't in you. So that can't be what he's getting at when he's talking about an unworthy manner as if, What we're trying to do is make ourselves worthy when we come to the table. Nor can it mean you better have been pretty clean this week. Otherwise, you can't come to the table. Neither of those work to the rest of the scripture. So what is he talking about? What would this unworthy manner look like? I want you to look again at verse 29. I'm going to use that as the place to try to understand this text. The ESV reads, for anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body, eats and drinks judgment on himself. Some translations read, without recognizing the body. Uh, The net has, without careful regard for the body. The NLT has, without honoring the body. And the old New American Standard, that's kind of weird to have to say that because they changed it in the 2020 over the 1995 the old new American standard judge the body rightly. So all of them are getting around this idea of discerning, judging rightly, honoring carefully, giving careful thought and regard. All of these ideas that we would do that when it comes to the body. Anyone who doesn't do that as they eat and drink, he says, is then eating and drinking judgment on himself. All right. So what does that look like and what does that mean i'm going to put forward two thoughts i think both are right you're welcome to just pick one if you think one's better than the other and the other one's not there but i think it is useful to observe that he just simply says discerning the body and he doesn't exactly specify what he means by that there's a little bit of vagueness to it less leading to i think these two ideas and i think he intends both of them even based on the context so number one 
That you are not discerning the body, and he's talking about the body of Christ. And he's talking about Jesus himself. You're not carefully having regard for him, for what he did, for his sacrifice, and for its impact. And that makes a lot of sense to what we've been talking about in this series and what we did even in our Sunday morning today and last Sunday morning, that there needs to be honor and recognition to the body of Christ and what he's done, because that's our everything. Without him, we're done. And the memorial has to be about he died, he gave his life, and that has set us free. And that is what gives us life. And that gives us hope. And the memorial that doesn't do it doesn't even make sense. That's what it has to be about, is it has to be that we are doing that toward him. Now, what were the Corinthians doing wrong? We looked at this this morning. Were they coming together and they were like, boy, we are really thinking about the body of Jesus. And we're really thinking about his life and how he gave it and what that means for us. No, they're having dinner. They just turned into a common meal. They took the holy and made it common, didn't they? They took something that was supposed to be spiritual and special and honored and revered. And he goes, you've just turned it into a common meal. And can you imagine an any more severe thing? And why you would have language of, do you think you're trampling the son of God underfoot and profaning the blood of the covenant when you take what's supposed to be the time to remember what your savior did for you and how he gave his life and the effect of that? And you go, this tastes good. Delicious. Got some more of that bread around there. Why would I like to eat some more of that? And there's no spiritual movement, no spiritual impact. They came to eat. They didn't come to honor Jesus. And you can imagine what would be worthy of judgment in that. Because the question would be, do you care about what Jesus did in the body and its effect on us? I had a great question that came up afterward. Somebody came up to me and said, so I find this really challenging because where this person had come out of and from, they did the Lord's Supper more rare, not every week, but occasionally every year and said, don't you think it's a challenge then that we don't lose our mind and it becomes ritual and habit? You do it every single week. Isn't this part of our concern that you're turning it into something that is kind of like, well, let's just hurry up and get it done. It's another week. It's another time. Let's reel off the checklist. All right. We got songs. We got prayers. We got Lord's Supper. Check, check, check. All right. We're done. Let's get out of here. And I said, you're absolutely right. And I said, that's why one of the things that we do that I think is extremely, extremely important is that before we come to the table, there is a great responsibility on the person leading us to put our minds where they need, where it needs to go. Because there's nowhere in the scriptures that says, now, before you take this, make sure you have a four or five minute talk. You know, get everybody set. It doesn't say you have to do that. So why do we do that? Because we're understanding the importance of what we're doing. Because we're understanding that the last thing we want to do is just sit down and just start dealing bread and letting it fly. And let's get it over with and, and let's be done and get out of here and move on. In fact, you might remember during 
COVID, we were very concerned about that because by moving to the disposable cups, it became very easy to go very quick, right? We all just go, okay, amen, everybody all at once, boom, done. I told you I visited some place. I didn't even get the, the paper off before they went right on to the next thing. And I'm like, wait, can I have a minute? And so one of the things we did was we wanted to say, okay, when we're doing that, then we're going to stop. And we asked the guy, you go sit down and get everybody a minute to reflect and think because what we're doing here is important. And this isn't about just chugging some juice and moving on. And I think it's important to see that that's what this is driving at. Is that there needs to be a time that we are coming together and we are not taking it lightly. But we are thinking about Jesus And we are thinking about what he's done and we're thinking about his covenant and we are not treating it as common or ordinary, but we are saying this is important. This is sacred. This is everything. This is what it's all about. And for us to zero in on that time. And so if we care, then we're going to come to the table with that knowledge, with that recognition, with that discerning when we partake. And as we do that, we are then committing ourselves to the covenant. It would be silly for us to come to the table and take the bread and then take the cup and then go, yeah, but this really doesn't mean anything to me. And I'm going to go just right back into my life of sin in about 30 minutes. That's profaning the blood of the covenant. That's saying I don't care. That's saying it's meaningless to me. It's saying this is just juice and bread and let's roll on. It should move us every week and we need to do whatever it takes on our part as we gather to put ourselves in that position to be ready to come before our God and be grateful and thankful and praise him for what he's done because we don't want to treat it as an ordinary thing the blood of the covenant cannot be treated that way and so that is part of the importance of the memorial so that's number one I said, what's number two then? That's got to be the answer, right? Well, it is interesting that we talked about this other problem that the Corinthians had. And he can talk about the judging or discerning the body. And when he speaks of the body of Christ, you can also not be talking about his actual physical body, but you can also be talking about us. We're the body of Christ. And he uses it that way in this very context as well as in chapter 10. And so one of the other ways to look at it is to say, you need to make sure that you are judging rightly, discerning rightly, honoring rightly the body of Christ, one another. Now, why would that make sense to the context? Because that was the whole problem. Remember what they were doing? They weren't even thinking about each other when they got together. They're full of divisions. They don't care about one another. One's eating, one's not eating, one's taking, one's not taking. You say you need to be waiting for one another, but they're not even doing that. And it's amazing that you could read that there was this inequity, that there were these divisions and to not wait. And the whole point that this section was about, which I drove at this morning, so I won't re-preach that sermon, is the Lord's Supper is supposed to be about we coming before God and not me. That we are doing something together. That this is an act of fellowship, an act of togetherness. And it was never intended to be for people just to individually do all by themselves on their own. Remember this morning, five times he says, when you come together, 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 because this is supposed to be done when you come together. 
That's why Acts 20 and verse 7, when they came together, what were they doing? They were coming together for that. That this was something that was an act of togetherness. And this makes sense also to the picture that he's saying here. That what we do is we profane the blood of the covenant when we make it about me. And we don't care about anybody else. And we aren't thinking about its impact on how this works for everybody else. And that's what they didn't care about. And so to me, I believe that what the Apostle Paul does here by keeping this discerning the body and doesn't specify is so that we would hold both of those ideas in place. Is that our gathering, it is very important what we are doing before God. And it is very important that we are doing this together as we come before him in worship. So. All right, let me pull it all together. You've been here for four lessons on this, and I'm hoping that this will provide a greater depth to the picture of the blood of the covenant. Number one, and I'm not going to pretend that's easy to remember lots and lots of points. I know I forget my own points tomorrow, too. But so if I could, if you say of all the four, if they say you had to keep only one in your head, I hope it's this one. I think the Exodus 24 image is one of the most important ones and the strongest connection that Jesus is referring to. That he was pointing out that his blood is now ratifying this new covenant that puts you in relationship with him. And the response of the people was supposed to be all that the Lord has spoken we will do. I hope every time we come to the table on the Lord's day and you have the cup, you are saying, I am recommitting myself to the covenant that all the Lord has spoken, I will do. I am in, I do not treat it as profane. I don't take it lightly. I am glad to be a part of it because it was sealed with his own blood. That's number one that we've looked at. Number two, how beautiful it is that we saw from Zechariah. It was a key emphasis that the blood of the covenant is what sets you free from sin. You do not have to return to the old life of sin. And so often we feel the weight of the world. We feel like we're failures. We feel like we can't go forward. We're not going to be able to overcome. And the blood of the covenant was a symbol that says you've been set free. You've been set free to serve God. You don't have to go back to that old life. The blood of the covenant is remembering that you are able to go forward with a new life in Christ. And when you partake, remember That you are not going back to that old life, but you are saying to God, I've been set free and I'm going to follow him and I'm going to be living that new life. That's number two. Number three. We saw the picture in Hebrews nine. Without the shedding of blood, there cannot be the forgiveness of sins. But remember the weight of what Hebrews nine was saying is that. The blood of animals was unable to cleanse the guilty conscience. But the blood of Christ can. So thorough is the cleansing of Christ that you are able to come to the table and you are able to accept the forgiveness of Christ and say, he has cleansed me thoroughly and I don't have to carry the burden. I don't have to carry the guilt. I don't have to carry the weight of sin because Christ has forgiven it. And that was supposed to be the weight of his sacrifice. And we're remembering that. We're thanking God for that. How grateful are we 
that there doesn't have to be another sacrifice tomorrow reminding us of all the sins that we've committed today. It's been done once for all. It is forgotten for all time. And we stand before him forgiven and cleansed. That's number three. Then number four, what we just did tonight. We are recognizing when we partake that that's the covenant that makes us holy. You sit there and go, how can we ever be in relationship with him? You have to love the wording of Hebrews 10, 29. The blood of the covenant is how you can be holy before God. It's the whole reason you can stand before him in his presence without any concern, but with complete boldness. And the reminder is don't treat that as a common thing. Don't lower it. Don't defile it. Don't treat it as mm, always hold it to the highest value and the highest regard and see its significance in your life. Because without that covenant, we're doomed. We needed that new covenant to be put into place. Those are the four. I could do more. I thought four would be enough. I, 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 would, I, I really literally thought it would be one lesson. And I dug into this and I was just like, this is amazing how God talked about these pictures in regards to the blood of the covenant. I'll end with this. The body of Christ was offered for us so that we could be the body of Christ. It's because of his body we can belong to the body. And we should never forget that wonderful, wonderful addition that we have been able to be called his children and to enjoy that relationship with him. Let's go to God in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, it is staggering to look at the depths of what the blood of your son was able to accomplish for us. To see the impact that that would make upon the whole world and how that was supposed to radically change who we are and how it radically changes our position before you, how it dramatically changes our relationship with you. Lord, it is just amazing that the the death and the resurrection of your son could accomplish so much for us. And I pray, Lord, that we never take that for granted. That we don't ever take that lightly. That we are never profaning the blood of the covenant. And Lord, I pray that you would help us each week to tune our hearts in to that memorial. And help us to feel the weight and the gravity and the sorrow of the death of your son. And also feel the weight and the gravity of the joy that has come to us because his death has set us free. And so, Lord, we thank you for that covenant. And we know that could only be possible through the death of your son. And so we praise you for your love for us. And it is hard for us to comprehend that you would offer us so much for truly wretched sinners that we are. But thank you for setting us free. Thank you for making us holy. And thank you for cleansing us inside and out. In Jesus' name, amen. We'll sing an invitation song. We invite you to come to Jesus, to come to the offering of his blood and to enjoy the benefits of his covenant.
that will set you free so you can have hope with him for all eternity. If there's any way we can help you to get right with God, to set the right pace for your life in following him faithfully, we would love to help you do that. Would you just let us know? You can come now while we stand and while we sing.